morning. It's good to be with you. This morning I'll be reading from John chapter 29, verses 15 through 19. When he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed the lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. God, our Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for gathering us here today. We ask that you be with Aaron as he brings us the word and that we prepare ourselves to hear what he has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Phil. You can have a seat. Well, I didn't introduce you. I, myself, there's some new faces. Uh, my name's Aaron, one of the elders here at Cornerstone, and I'm really excited to jump into Jonah chapter 3. Uh, you might have thought we were going back into John when Phil read that, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, we get once again an opportunity, friends, to submit ourselves to God's Word, be encouraged by it, and Lord willing, transformed by it. And so this morning we will see Jonah go to Nineveh. We'll see him share the truths of God, the gospel, and people will then trust in God's word. We see when people believe in God, they respond in lives of repentance. So will you pray with me and we'll go to Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Father, we ask again for your help. God, would you help us to hear your voice in your word as it is from you? Would you help us to hear your voice through my mouth? God, would we worship and glorify and adore you because of the great mercy that we receive through the death of your Son? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be in Jonah chapter 3. If you want to turn there in the Bible, there's a pew Bible uh, in front of you if you did not bring one. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. I'll read the first paragraph. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
Just keep your finger there. So, Cornerstone, we see the greatest miracle take place here. It's a turning point in this book of Jonah. It's a turning point of repentance. And not only does Jonah repent, but the whole city, the whole nation of Nineveh repents as well. And God continues to, in grace, by calling Jonah a second time. You might have remembered those same words from chapter 1, where he says to arise, to go to Nineveh, to cry out against the city's sins. And it's amazing to see God's patience towards not only Jonah, but also to the town and the city of Nineveh. He could have got another prophet. He could have just let Nineveh die in their sins and perish. God could have done a lot of things here, which would still allow him to remain just and righteous. But he decided to call Jonah again, a second time to go. Jonah's the only prophet in the Old Testament that I could think of that preached repentance to a foreign land. Normally, prophets would call out to the nation of Israel. They would call them to repent. They would call the, nations of, the nation of Israel to maintain and fulfill their end of the covenant that God had established with them. But here we see Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. Oftentimes prophets would call out against another nation. This is going to happen of these other nations. But this outward focus of God is emphasized here in Jonah. And I couldn't help but think of the Apostle Peter in the New Testament, as Phil just read for us. Peter's the disciple who we saw in John chapter 6, where he confessed that Jesus had the words of eternal life. In Matthew's Gospel, Peter's the one who confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Peter's the one who will betray Jesus. He'll deny him three times as we get back into the Gospel of John in the fall. The disciples closest to Jesus, in some sense, his best friend, betrays him in the midst of his most challenging circumstances. But as Phil just read in John 21, three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter responds and says, yes. Jesus restores Peter. He welcomes the denier back into the fold. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus restores Peter. He has patience with Peter. Peter has a firsthand experience of God's patience. And so Jonah, as another messenger of God, he goes to Nineveh. And the knowledge of the sin of Nineveh has come up to God. And we see again in verse 3 that this is God's knowledge. God knows their sins. He knew that Jonah's sins when Jonah fled and Jonah went into the ship. He knew the idols of worship of those sailors on the boat. Remember, they worshiped their other gods and called out for the other gods to help them, and they didn't. But Nineveh's sin has come up to God, which means that God's patience is running out. And when God's patience runs out, friends, wrath comes. That's the message that Jonah brings. And so a question I want you to think about is how often do we reflect on God's patience? I think I'm patient until I'm not. My kids are probably laughing right now. My fuse is short, especially when it is compared to God, whose patience is everlasting. My fuse is short. God is patience. I'm learning patience while God is patience. For centuries, God was patient with his people, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with the grumblers in the wilderness, with the people who wanted a king to be their God or to replace God uh, when God was to be king. In 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10, we see Peter's understanding fleshed out as he encourages 
God's people. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that we should all reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That's God's patience, as Peter experienced that firsthand. And Jonah, he shares this message of God's mercy and patience with the people of Nineveh. God cared deeply about the Ninevites, whom he created in his image, and God wanted them to be spared, and it came through a message. But why Nineveh? Why not Babylon? Why not Assyria? Why not any other people? I don't know. Sometimes we find ourselves as God's people thinking, well, why would God not just save everyone? Why would he not select all groups of people as opposed to a specific group of people or maybe even just one person? Maybe you've asked the question before. Maybe you're even asking it now. If God elects some to salvation, is he not electing others to eternal judgment and condemnation? Like sending people down two forks that they have to go down. But if you recall from John chapter 3, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We all have sinned. Ninevites, Israelites, Vermonterites, all of us. All of us are condemned already. Heading down this path, this road of condemnation. And God has grace on some that they might believe because he's patient with them. As opposed to thinking, well, how unjust of God to allow people to go down that path. Maybe the reflection that we should have is how merciful God is to have amazing grace on a wretch like me. The wretch Jonah goes to Nineveh. Chapter 3 is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Chapter 1, it detailed Jonah's quick response, the sailor's quick response to the storm that was gathering, the quick response of God putting or throwing Jonah over the ship. Chapter 2 is pretty straightforward. The fish swallowed Jonah. He prayed out, and the God had the fish vomit Jonah back up on the ground. It takes Jonah three days to go about this entire city of Nineveh to proclaim this call of repentance. He says, in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah warns them of the coming wrath of God towards their sin. And the word used here by Jonah of, being, uh, of God overthrowing this city is the same words that God used of Genesis or in Genesis of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you're familiar with that story, it was fire and sulfur that came down and destruction from God. And the 40 days would have reminded the nation of Israel of their time in the wilderness. Jonah's message was for Nineveh, but this book of Jonah, as I've said, is for the nation of Israel. God wanted Israel to repent, the nation who was called to be a blessing to other nations, and they weren't fulfilling their role. They weren't heeding God's call that he called them to. And a 40-day warning came as a reminder for Israel, where Moses on Mount Sinai, if you're familiar with the story, he goes up and communes with God. He comes down with the Ten Commandments, and the people have made a golden calf. And the wrath of God comes against them. He came down and 
They were impatient for God's word to come to them. And Moses does this in Deuteronomy chapter 9. He says this, So I lay prostrate before the Lord these forty days and forty nights, because the Lord has said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Moses is begging God for 40 days for the nation of Israel. Jonah is giving the same message, begging the Ninevites to repent from their sins. And so Moses intercedes for Israel. Jonah gave Nineveh a 40-day warning when Israel was supposed to use that as a reminder because destruction is due to all who do not follow God's word, who worship idols and chase after false gods. And there's a condition implied in Jonah's message. Nineveh, repent. God will relent. In short, it's a message of significant importance. In the Hebrew, it's only five words. The message of salvation is simple. Jonah tells them their future, and he calls them to respond. And I think if we knew the future, we would probably act a little differently, wouldn't we? Don't we wish that we knew what the stock market would do in 40 days from now? Don't we wish that we knew the price of fuel oil would be 40 days from now, when it's really cold? Don't we wish we knew the exact date of all the leaf peepers that'll come to Vermont and crowd our roads? We all wish we knew the future, what it holds, but we don't. If we knew when Jesus was returning, we'd probably live our lives a bit differently, with a little bit more urgency. But we friends, we know the end. As I used in our scripture reading and the call to worship, the day is drawing near. We know there is a day. We just don't know the exact time it will take place. And we often forget that we do know the hour. If we did, we'd probably kiss our loved ones. We'd probably make sure they knew that we loved them. I think about my dad. He's not a believer. He doesn't want to hear the gospel. Every time I bring it up, he just, okay, Aaron, and he wants to get off the phone. I'd probably get on a plane. I'd probably fly down to Florida, and I would beg him to believe, to repent. I had a seminary professor who would tell me, live as though Jesus is coming back today, but plan as though he's coming back in 100 years. If we lived as though he was coming back today, we'd probably live our lives of repentance differently today. We would turn from our sins. We would share the gospel with our neighbors. Church, he is coming back. We don't know the hour. It could be in a few minutes, but we don't know. And we see the response to Jonah's message is that of belief. In verse 5, the first word in that sentence in the Hebrew is actually believe. It's kind of like it's all caps in the front of the sentence to show and signify the immediacy, the importance of Nineveh's repentance. It was swift and it was citywide. Nineveh believed God and they were changed and they were sorry. They had contrition. That's what theologians call being sorry for our sin. They put on sackcloth. They fasted. And this was a common means in the ancient world to show a, an expressed grief, to have humility, to, uh, to act in penitence. And these are ancient world hallmarks of true repentance. 
But with their contrition, they also had repentance, this true change as we've been talking about as we've been going through Jonah. Repentance is turning away from that which is against God and turning towards that which is for God and how he calls us to live. In response to God's patience, we need both. We need repentance, and we also need contrition as we receive God's forgiveness, where we change from our sin, and we have sorrow for our sin. And Jonah had a story to tell, didn't he? Imagine Jonah coming to Nineveh. He was probably bleached white, like many of us, come springtime when we haven't seen the sun. But he was in the belly of the fish, and the acid of the fish's stomach probably made his skin very white. And he probably told the story. God told me to come here, and I didn't go. I fled. I went to the ship, and I went down. And then this big storm came, and these guys threw me overboard. And then a fish swallowed me. And then the fish, after I prayed to God, vomited me back up onto the the shore. He had a serious story to tell. And he says, in light of all that, you need to repent because God did that to me. And he's serious. And Nineveh repents as they believe God's word from the mouth of Jonah that he, God is true and reliable and God will keep his promises. Our testimony and story of God's grace in our lives can be used to transform the area in which we live. Talking to your neighbor, well, I used to be this way. I used to live that way. And now I don't. I used to think that I could solve all my problems, but I just, I can't. I needed a savior and God has saved me. He can do that for you too. Nineveh believed God, as it says, and it was counted to them as righteousness. When we sin against God, or when we sin against others, we can share the gospel. For example, in talking to my kids, yeah, dad's impatient. Dad can get angry, and I need change. But Jesus has forgiven me for my sin. Would you pray for dad? Would you keep dad account accountable? Would you remind me of the areas in which I've sinned? Will you consider maybe, as my child, how you might need to repent of your sin and how Jesus has died for you? We all need gospel reminders. We don't like to show our weakness, though, don't we? I can do this. I can fix my problems. Friends, we cannot fix our problem of sin. And when we realize that, when we share it with others, we can share the gospel and people can see the church is just like them in weakness, but saved from the wrath of God by his Savior, Jesus Christ. Jonah in weakness and honesty was God's messenger to save a nation. And Nineveh responded to Jonah's message in three ways, with three verbs. They believed, they declared, and they put on. And their response to the message became inward. Their minds were transformed. They were renewed, as Paul says in Romans 12. And their hearts were transformed in the process. Their response became artic articulated, where they declared what God has done. This is who I was. This is who I am now. And then it became outward. They changed their circumstances around them. They, from the least of them to the greatest. Imagine this change going from house to house in the city of Nineveh, from store to store, neighbor to neighbor, like a flood. And it reached the king, as we see, as we look at verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. 
removed his robe, clovered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Nineveh repented and word reached the king. And as I have told you before, the story of Jonah happens in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14. And this book is a warning for Israel. In 2 Kings 17, a couple of chapters after Jonah is mentioned, this takes place. And this is the word of the Lord. Yet the word, sorry, yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying to Israel, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen but were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. And so in contrast to Israel, Nineveh responds, led by their king. Jonah is a declaration for Israel to look in the mirror. We see the king of Nineveh, he abdicates his throne. He abdicates his position of authority. And he gave up his throne and his royal robes for a seat in ashes. He gave up his royal robes for sackcloth. And think about that which makes that is most important to you. This king gave up everything that was most important to him. The king made a decree, and maybe you'd love for a transformed nation to declare down that we need some repentance. From the top down, repent. Let's follow God's word. Let's follow the God of the Bible. Let's turn from their evil ways. And this king was showing, in a way, a devotion and a belief in God. Jonah, he was the Israeli nationalist. He didn't want the people outside of his country to know God. He didn't want to go to the people on the other side of the aisle to hear a message of repentance because he knew that God had mercy and that God would forgive them. But it's according to the scriptures, right? So we should have someone declare down and dictate what we should do. Would we really want that, though? Decrees don't change hearts and minds. Only the gospel does. Degrees, they just change the outward behaviors. Outward behaviors was changing with the king because of this inward transformation happening in his own heart. Friends, politics isn't the answer. The gospel is. And it leads to repentance and revival for the nation of Nineveh. But what if we had a town, a state, or even a nationwide repentance and revival that took place? Would we really want that? Would we want people who look different than us to join God's people even here at Cornerstone? Would we want people who used to celebrate things differently to be a part of this church or the church? What if our language changes or music styles change because people that are outside of this community of believers brought their cultures in and their habits in? Maybe even some of the neighbors that are quirky around us 
and they follow Jesus who came to Cornerstone and our church started looking differently. Would it be okay with that? God wants us to go. If you aren't okay with your neighbor and his quirky habits or your family member with his past or maybe some of her politicians who you just don't like following Jesus and joining this church, maybe consider why. There's a party in heaven when they repent and they believe the gospel. And so if you aren't okay with that, ask God to transform your heart, to give you joy that a sinner comes to repentance because he saves people from their sin. They join the body of Christ, and the body of Christ changes, and it's a good thing as we submit ourselves to God's Word. As I was studying in the coffee shop this week, I was at this point in studying, and I was like, uh-oh. I just spent some time looking around the coffee shop, the people serving coffee, the people that are there working, the people, law students, that are trying to figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to organize their day with the new school year for them starting up and praying, God, help me to want them to be part of this church. Help me to have confidence to go to them, to share the gospel with them, to help them to believe in response to the gospel message that's shared with them in obedience to your call to go like he gives all of us as his people. Jonah's role was to go and proclaim. He didn't go to the king. He didn't stand out front of the state house. He didn't picket in front of the king's mansion. He declared the truth on the streets. Those other things are good at times when we do them lovingly, but our main role, our first objective, God's primary strategy for saving the world from sin is evangelism and sharing the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And whether a king dictates it or not, our response to hearing the gospel should be that of repentance. We turn from our sins and we turn to God. Turn over into the New Testament to Colossians 3. If you want to follow along. It's one of Paul's letters, one of the shorter ones. Colossians 3, Paul says this in verse 1, to turn towards the things of God. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And in verse 5, if you jump down, he says to turn away from our sins. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Friends, imagine what God could do through a church like this, if our focus was that of repentance. Martin Luther said all of the Christian life is that of repentance. And as we are changed by God, repentance changes our outward actions. It changes and we have an affection for the things of God and a distaste for the things of the world and the ways of sin. And so think about yourself personally. What do you need to put to death? Violence was the most prominent of Nineveh's sins we see in our text in verse 8. What would the prophet say? What would a prophet say of our nation? Sexual sin, greed, selfishness, power, autonomy, freedom. The list can go on and on. Are any of those sins that you struggle with? 
are those sins that maybe you need to put to death? We see that the king truly repented. But we see this, and I think I questioned it a little bit, and maybe you are as well, in verse 9, where the king says, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This king cried out and mightily, or sorry, this king cried out mightily, and so scholars think that he actually did believe. But maybe those are words that hit you differently, where you question, maybe God will or will not save or turn His wrath. I can't kick that habit. I can't kick that sin. I, I just continue to struggle with it. I hope that God will turn and relent from His fierce anger towards me so that I might not perish. And we even know that Jesus says in John chapter 17 that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But I just struggle to keep the commandments. But friends, we don't have to question when we truly believe if God will save us from our sins. We can be assured because God keeps his promises. Just like God said there would be no wrath on Nineveh if they repented, there will be no wrath. But God said, if they repent, He will relent. And when God says He will save us by our sins, by the substitution of Jesus in our place, friends, He will save us from our sins. You can rest assured of that. He keeps His promises. And the contrition and repentance of Nineveh showed that they are truly believe, or that they truly did believe. And we see this in verse 10, as it shows us God's faithfulness. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. We only know that the depth of the repentance of Nineveh was sufficient for God's wrath to be abated. We don't know how much it was. We don't know exactly what they did. But it seems almost too easy, doesn't it? The term for evil and disaster here is the same word, actually, in verse 10, where you mix their evil and God averting the same disaster. You see the connection between man's actions and Nineveh's turning of their disastrous ways and God's divine response and relenting upon the disaster that He said would come to them. In some sense, God here too repents. God is without sin, and so God's response is from a temporal perspective, from a timing perspective. He changes his posture towards Nineveh. He relents here to the actions of Nineveh in an eternal perspective, where God is in control of the means of salvation, which is repentance for Nineveh. But he's also in control of the ends of salvation, which is the divine mercy that they receive, and God not following through with the wrath that he said would come upon these people. Where God relented as He said He would, and God is a righteous judge. He keeps His promises. And so do we find it far-fetched to think that the whole city could repent? Do we feel at times that God couldn't really save everyone in our town? That God really couldn't save everybody in our state? He can. He did in Nineveh. 
And this is a miracle just as much as the fish swallowing Jonah was a miracle. And the miracle of the fish vomiting it back up on dry land. We don't need to limit God's grace. God can save this nation. God can save our state. God can save our towns. God can save the folks in your home. When we believe that, it changes our attitude towards going and sharing the gospel. The hearts in Nineveh were probably soft. They had been recently suffered a famine and a plague. Maybe sounds a little familiar to our country right now. Maybe the nation we live in has soft hearts. But how will we know if we don't respond like Jonah and heed the call to go, to arise, to go, to call out to those in our spheres of influence who we rub shoulders with? And even the repentance and contrition of Nineveh was grace, was the grace of God, ordained by Him, like He ordains our own ability to believe in Him and for salvation. God's mind changed towards these sinners in Nineveh when they believed in Him. When we believe the gospel, the same thing happens. For those of you who are Christians, you know what this is like. God changed his mind towards you because you believed in his son's death, his burial, his resurrection on your behalf. And that's a gift of God to be able to believe. And God changes minds towards us in response to that belief in the gospel. And that should lead us to a heart of worship. Jonah went about for three days into the town of Nineveh, in the city of Nineveh. It'll probably take us a lot longer to reach the areas that we live in. The sailors worshipped, and thanks to being saved from there and getting salvation in chapter 1. Jonah worshipped in prayer because of his deliverance in chapter 2. The Ninevites worshipped in repentance here in chapter 3. Outward actions changing because of what God has done in their hearts. And as we close, we will worship in song, like the sailors did. We will worship in prayer. We will worship in an outward sign of the inward transformation that Christians have experienced as we go down to the river and celebrate baptisms with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The outward actions don't save us, though. They're a sign of the salvation that we've received. The story of Jonah and Nineveh is a story of every true believer. It's a story of all of us. The task is not over when the repentance occurs, but only when the generations to come after us have been discipled with the same truth to continue in repentance themselves. Nineveh would not follow God's would not follow God's word in the future past this generation. So Cornerstone, we gather, we sing, we pray, we read scriptures, we exhort one another from God's word. We go through catechisms, we celebrate baptisms so that we can continue to remind each other how great God is and what he has done for us. How God relented of the disaster upon us because of our sin that he said he would do by saving us from our sins and delivering us from his wrath. We don't need to go out and beg people to repent, but God does command it that all should repent. Don't take my word for it. Take Paul's words in Acts 17. It says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but he now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to die in our place on the cross for our sins. 
that he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead to give us a newness of life, an abundant life, a life we were meant to live. So God, thank you for giving us the grace to believe that. God, for those who don't, I ask that you would give them the grace to believe that. You would call us and equip us to repent of our sinful ways so that we might follow you and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we would rejoice like there is a party in heaven when the sinners repent of their sin and believe and follow and love you. Father, we thank you for your grace. Would you be honored in the rest of our time this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.